So, <clears throat> I was going to do, kind of finish off or round off the um, Sacred Spaces mini-series that Louise and I were doing, and, and Sherry kind of gate-crashed on it, and she did such a good job that kind of used up all the material that we had. Um, and, and seriously, in all seriousness, if you haven't heard Sherry's preach from last week, I want to encourage you. Uh, I honestly think it was one of the best preachers of the year. And I want to encourage you to go and listen to it. She rounded off so many things and did it in such a practical way that I, I honestly, I want to encourage you uh, over the season, go and listen to it, not just once, but maybe a few times. Um, and, you know, the Sacred Spaces series was actually Louise's brainchild. So listen to her two preachers, and if you get a chance, listen to mine. But, uh, but th- just that place of understanding who we are and, who, and what we carry and what we take into this world is a really helpful thing. So I was going to do something around discipleship because one of the things about a sacred space is that as we are a sacred space, so we bring other people into a sacred space and that discipleship is not about us kind of helping guide people all the time and and making them dependent on us, but actually what discipleship is about is bringing people to the apprenticeship of Jesus. But you're not going to get that preached this morning. I felt just to focus on Christmas because what is the true meaning of Christmas you see what we have in our world today is we have this almost dichotomy (laughs) we have Christians having this holy day called Christmas where Jesus is born but you've also got the rest of the world celebrating the same day as a happy holiday and as Christmas time where Santa Claus and reindeers and presents come and these Christmas trees and decorations and Christmas carols that don't mention Jesus at all. And so what you have is they've got millions of people celebrating a particular day, some because of its origins in Jesus, but others because it's a great day to celebrate the peace and joy to the world, but without Jesus. And so what happens is, is there's a bit of discomfort on both sides, isn't there? Because <laughs> as Christians, we, we kind of see more and more the festivities surrounding Christmas seem to look less and less about the birth of Jesus and more and more about secularism. Whereas on the other side, you've got the world that often gets irritated by the intrusion of these references to the Savior child that's born 2,000 years ago. And who has he got anything to do with my life? But as Christians, instead of getting frustrated, maybe we can. At a point in time when we look at what's happening here is, is that the rest of the world, to some degree, they are thinking the same thing of peace, of joy, of gift giving, of love, and all of those kind of things. And John, the disciple that was loved by Jesus the most, I mean, he wrote that, but hey, you know, um, he was the one that lay on Jesus' chest and uh, the one who was always with Jesus. He was the one that Jesus confided in the most. And he wrote a number of books in the Bible, and especially in the New, Te- well, in the New Testament. And uh, the second book he wrote is, wrote is 1 John. And I want to look at uh, the first four vo- verses of that. And I, I stumbled across a book by Tim Keller. So a lot of this is his content. I want to honor him for that. He's an amazing theologian um, and, and a, a gift to the church universal. But he, he takes this and he says it's actually a, it's, it's a Christmas text, even though we, when we look at it at first, we don't think it's a Christmas text. But I, I want to kind of unpack it in a way that's helpful. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, And our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to the eternal life. We, pro- we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and which has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Such an amazing text, which at first you go, what does that got to do with Christmas, Gary? Well, I don't know if you noticed there, and I mean I've highlighted for you a little bit. But number one, in the beginning, from the beginning, this is somebody who had no beginning and no end. This is the, the person in the priesthood of Melchizedek who met Abraham, who was the priest who had no beginning and no end. This is Jesus Christ, who was never created. He always was. He was always there. He's also the word of life. That when Jesus speaks, something happens inside of us that brings us alive. He is also the life. But he's also eternal life. So not only is he somebody who gives us eternal life, that changes the future of humanity, but what he, what he does is he is eternal life itself. It's almost as if when we receive by faith what Jesus has, it's like plugging in a light. It's like these lights without being plugged into the electrical socket, nothing happens. But when we see Jesus and we plug ourselves into him, something comes alive in us and he speaks his life into us. And that's why we have this amazing verse, John 3.16, which many of us see and many have got printed on sportsmen, have it printed on their t-shirts, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes. It's, it's the simple believing shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's how we walk into this, that what God has for us. But you see, many don't kind of believe in this personal, eternal life-giving Savior. What matters is being a good person, Gary. What matters is, is that I, I treat people with respect and honor. Now, those are obviously really good things. But what starts to happen is, is that if that's what we believe, then, then Christmas is the season as, as much as it is about giving and, and loving on people and Santa Claus and presents and peace with all men then it's not salvation by grace, but it's salvation by works. Because the more that I can give and the more that I can love on people, and I'm into, you, you, anybody who knows me is, I'm into social transformation. I'm into to, to giving. I'm into all of those things. But without the gospel underneath it, without Jesus, then what it is, it's a gospel or it's a, 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 a salvation by works. As long as I'm a good person, then actually I can resource my life the way that I want to, and actually, I can just save myself. Problem is, is that if we hold that view, then how much is enough? I don't know about you, but I used to live my life like that. And you live in a place of fear and insecurity because actually, have I been good enough? Most religions around the world are like that. It's like you have to attain certain things. You have to have done a certain amount of deeds in order to attain what God or this creator or this force or whatever it is is happy, and as long as you appease the gods, you're okay. And so sometimes if you don't feel like that, then you have this sense of self-loathing because you fail. I don't know how many of you have failed on a number of occasions, but I certainly have on way too many. Or what happens is, is <clears throat> maybe you're really good at this. Maybe you're really good at being a good person. And so you land up with this pride, and, and then you look at somebody who maybe has an addiction, and you go, come on, suck it up. What's wrong with you? Stop taking those drugs. Stop drinking that alcohol. Stop doing that. Stop whatever. What's wrong with you? 
And you land up with this pride because they can't do it, but you have. Often we live kind of flip-flopping between most of those things. Sometimes being able, yeah, I've done it, or I've failed again. And so from that self-loathing into that prideful kind of place. But if you believe the truth about Christmas, then you will believe that you are saved by grace alone. By faith alone in Christ. And what it is, it's about Jesus. It's about God himself becoming a baby by pursuing us because he loved us. That he actually injected himself into space and time. And now it becomes really important that actually all of what we talk about is Christmas and about what Jesus did becomes important. Because actually what happens is if we are saved by grace alone, then actually we're humbled out of our pride because it's not about us. It's not about how many good things I do. It's not about what I do. It's actually about what he has done. And I'm affirmed and I'm loved out of my insecurity. Because no matter what I've done and how I've done it, actually Jesus can come and take that. And then I'm in a relationship that not only offers forgiveness, but it offers restoration even when I've failed. You see, Christmas actually happened. <clears throat> Jesus was actually born. It's not a story. It's not a fable. It's not some kind of legend. Because if it is, then actually then Jesus is just a good kind of story and a good example for me to follow. And I've, I've loved the way that in many churches and, and even in our church, we, we stop saying Christian. We said Christ follower. But in some ways, I think sometimes we move away from that and actually we want to be like Christ. We want to keep him in that. I mean, my kids sometimes, and when you write, you know, Happy Christmas, and people go, Xmas, I'm like, no, I can't do that. I want to write Christmas, because it's actually about Jesus. And then, I mean, Dylan's here, and, and, and my kids are here, but they call it Christmas, Christmas or something. I'm like, Louise, now stop it. It just kind of irritates me. No, put, don't take Christ out of it. It's, Jesus is always there. So he's not just about trying to follow an example. See, if we are saved by grace, about, and it's all about what he has done and not about what I do and not about what you do. And like I said, it's critical then that he was born, that he did break into time and space, that he did live, that he did die, that he did get resurrected. These are not fables. These are not legends. And that's why this, this uh, text says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which our hands have touched, we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we testify. Notice all of those words are forensic. They're courtroom kind of words. Like if you go into, you know, there's so many court cases around the world in the last little while that are kind of, uh, you know, these major public uh, court hearings. And, and when you go into the court, what are you, I, I, I saw that. Where's the witnesses? No, I touched that. No, I saw that. The cameras caught that. We've heard that. That's what he said. That's how he went about it. And all the circumstantial evidences and all the facts are, are pulled together. And here is John saying, I lived with Jesus. I saw him die. He was on the cross. I was with his mom. He said to me, that's your mom. This is my, your, your son to, to his mom. And I looked after for, for the rest of my life. And actually, I was almost boiled to death, but I didn't die. And I was on the Isle of Patmos, but I saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. And I lay on his chest. At the same time, I saw the resurrection, and I saw him ascended to heaven. I've touched him. I've seen it. I'm testifying to you that this all happened. Christmas actually happened. See, if Christmas is true, and we are saved by grace, then it means that we have a God who pursued us because He loved us and He saved us. If it's not true, if it's just a story of legend, then actually you and I are on our own. 
I don't know about you, but I'm up the creek without a paddle. What he goes on to talk about is the fact that because of that, because he came to Project Planet Earth and demonstrated his love for us by also dying on the cross and taking on the sins of our world, of of us, on himself, then ultimately what he did was he reconciled us back to the Father so we could get to know him. Paul's example of humanity eating of the fruit. And I know Eve keeps getting the, the short end of that straw. But Adam was actually the biggest punk of all who sat in the corner and did nothing and allowed his wife to eat of the fruit. So humanity ate of the fruit. Notice how John is testifying about Christmas. That actually when we fellowship with one another, because of what Jesus did, he became flesh. We can now, as much as he, as John, fellowship with Jesus in the, in the flesh, we can actually fellowship with him in the spirit. And he's encouraging us to do that. But also as we fellowship with one another and as we see Jesus in one another, we fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. And the word here is koinoneo. It's the Greek word which talks about this kind of mutual sharing, this deep, intimate, multidimensional bonding, which has this personal communion that we can enter into. Just as the disciples sat and ate and shared a meal with Jesus, we can do the same thing. Now, Eastern religions, they have kind of a God that is ultimately this impersonal force. That actually what can happen is we can merge with this force, but there's no real personal communion or connection with God. Or possibly some of the other world religions, God is personal, but he's so far out there. He's kind of like, he put Project Planet Earth into play, and then he just sits back and watches. And he doesn't engage in our personal lives, and yet the Bible tells me he knows every hair in my head. That I'm the apple of his eye. Not you, me. Everybody's sitting there quiet. But in Christmas, God became flesh. I want you to to sink in. Why is that so important? Well, remember in Exodus 33, Moses sees the burning bush, and then he says to God, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, aye, boy, aye, boy. I can't show you my glory because if I show you my glory, you will fizzle up like a pfft and just disappear. Think about in the Old Testament. They, they could never experience the presence of God like we did just now as we worshiped. Could never see the glory of God. And yet, what happens? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I don't know about you, but when you were at school, did you ever ever have an eclipse happening while you were at school? Where the moon and the sun and all kinds of stuff happens out there. And the teachers always said, guys, don't look at the sun. You will damage your eyes. And what did we have to do? We had to take that filter and kind of look through. And then you could see the moon and the, the, the sun kind of passing each other. It's the same thing. Is We were unable to behold the glory of God, but now that Jesus is there, now that we are in Christ, we are able to behold the glory of God without damaging ourselves. That's what Jesus did. That's what Christmas is about. We don't have to hide from God anymore in terms of His glory because of our sinfulness. But He has made us whole and He has made us free in Christ to be able to have relationship with God. 
the interesting thing is, is that as much as kind of we, we do this, is we are freed to engage in conversation with God. You know, people talk about prayer. You know, you must have your prayer time and your quiet time. And so we religiously kind of can do that. But actually, God has called us into relationship to know Him, not just to know about Him. And I think so many of us go around knowing about God. We can read the Scriptures and we can, you know, even the, t- the Ten Commandments, we can go through them all. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not covet, all those good things. And those are good things. But actually, do we know the manual or do we know the one who wrote the manual? Because when we know Him and we understand Him and we engage Him and we engage Him in the text, the texts become alive to us. See, the Gospels are all about Jesus in human form. He is showing us how to live out our lives as the perfect human in love and humility and wisdom and compassion. And when we see Jesus, when we read the text and we see His humanity as well as the fact of His deity, what starts to happen is we're able to grasp and He becomes tangible and personal and we is somebody we can have a relationship with. You know, John 17, 3 is one of my favorite verses. He says, now this is eternal life. They, they know you. See, eternal life isn't knowing about Jesus. It's actually knowing Jesus. I know one day in heaven, I, I've heard this many times, and, and I agree with it. I think when we arrive in heaven one day, we're going to go, oh, jeez, I didn't expect you here. And then, hey, where's, where's my mate? Not here. Well, because we can go around declaring stuff, wrote, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. <laughs> and we can do all of that, but actually do we know him? Do we engage him? Do we have intimacy with him? Do we? Now, Gary, what are you talking about? Because Christmas and the birth means that God went to great lengths to make himself personally knowable. And that's when the great exchange happens. Now, when you see this name, be careful. We're not talking about the romantic writer, Daniel Steele. But this minister, Methodist minister in the 18th century wrote this, which I think is beautiful. Almost every week, and sometimes almost every day, the pressure of his great love comes down on my heart in such a measure as to make my whole being, soul and body grown beneath the strain of the almost unsupportable plethora of joy. And yet amidst the fullness there is a hunger for more. He has unlocked every apartment of my being and filled and flooded them with all the light of his radiant presence. The spot before untouched has been reached and all its fullness has melted in the presence of Jesus the altogether loving. Now, obviously, this was in some ways an unusual season in this guy's life where he experienced the depth and the personal communion with God. It almost startled him but transformed him. And we all have the ability to accept the invitation for that. That those words that describe the intimacy with Jesus, we all have that because of Christmas, because Jesus became man because Jesus became flesh. It's all possible for us to have this deep communion. My question is this morning is, do you know that deep communion? That deep personal connection? And if you're not, I want to encourage you that over this next couple of weeks that you push into Jesus, that as much as He pursued you, turn that back into pursuing God. And you know, sometimes you may struggle to find Him, but He's not hiding from you. 
He's hiding for you to come and find him. See, Christmas means that God is not content with the concept of you just knowing about him. He wants to know you, and he wants to know you intimately, and he wants you to know him intimately. And lastly, what does that text say? I write this to make your joy complete. Or in John 17, he says, I say these things while I'm still with you. This is Jesus speaking, so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. Now, what is this joy? Because you know, I don't know about you, but it's been, like everyone said, it's a tough year, and we get to the end of the year, and let's close up shop, let's go on holiday. Because we know the next year is going to start. And you know, between 31st of December and 1st of there's actually that bump. You can actually feel it, you know, when you go into the new year. Okay, now we hope for a new year, and everyone, you see all the memes on Facebook, you know, don't speak about 2022, we'll just wait for it to arrive. Let's not say it's going to be better then, because uh, 2021 was not so much better than 2020, and maybe a bit, but... It was tough and all those kind of things. But the point is, is in, in all of this, the joy of the New Testament is not just about happiness. It's, it, it's you know, we, oh, I'm happy in the face of kind of negative circumstances. What's interesting is, <clears throat> stumbled across this thing of a ballast, which is, I never knew that ships actually had a ballast. Sometimes it's weights, but in other cases, it's actually the, the ship fills up with a certain amount of water that actually kind of gives it a, a substance into the water that gives it a stability. Ian, do you remember what you said in the prayer meeting? Why don't you come and share about how powerful this picture is? Yeah, while Gary was talking about ballast and ballast tanks, that picture really only symbolizes part of what a ballast does. A ballast at the bottom of a ship and sometimes at the bottom of a sailing boat, is there not only to create the stability, but it is also there when the ship is being blown over. It is there to right size and to bring the ship back in terms of its stability, but also in terms of its alignment. And the picture that I had was we've got our ballast the word of Christ uh, on our tongue, on our lips. And as we go into the season with all of its lights and what have you, the more we speak the word of Christ and the more we have Jesus on our lips, that ballast right-sizes everything that the season represents. It brings it back into terms of perspective and in terms of stability. Bless you. You know, Jesus ultimately is our ballast. The joy of the Lord is our strength, brings us the steadfastness, this ability to the steadiness through storms. And in all of what Ian said, and, and Paul also had something to say, and Paul, won't you add to that, because I think your, your stamp thing was a really helpful picture as well. Yeah, I'll keep quiet about the first part. <laughs> so um, you've seen the old one penny postage stamp with the Queen's image on like the classic picture of a postage stamp. And we lick that stamp and we put it on a message and we send the message away. And the stamp is what enables the message to travel. The travel will not be delivered unless it's got the stamp on it. And that stamp has authority because it has the queen's head on it. And I saw the Lord put a stamp on our tongues that had his image on it. But we didn't take the stamp out and put it on the message. And thank you for 
letting me speak because the Lord actually finally said, we are the living message and actually the stamp is on our tongues because you want to know why people don't hear about the Lord? Because we are the junction, the portal where heaven meets earth. We are the message. In this season, keep the stamp on your tongue and speak the name of Jesus. See how cool it is. We don't often share what comes out in the prayer meeting, but you're all welcome. When you see us standing in this corner, we do it in here on purpose because we want you to come. In fact, that we're there, please feel free and feel invited to come and pray with us because often God speaks some, some amazing things in the prayer meeting which often don't filter back into the, the main meeting. They do to some extent, but you can hear the two words that came from that moment. So in all of this, what am I trying to say? I, I love that picture that Ian said. It's like, when something batters you and, and a ship kind of gets floated up, well, what's going to happen? The, the water underneath is going to bring you back. The word of God, the joy of the Lord. Um, joy is peace dancing because we have a peace that God is going to bring us back online. When circumstances don't turn out, we've got Jesus in the boat. And Jesus is the one who's going to bring us back. And he's going to say, no, he's going to say, storm, peace, be still. Or he's going to allow us to go through the storm. Because remember, there's some storms Jesus takes us through. There's some storms that come from the enemy and from without, but actually sometimes God takes us through a storm to test our faith. And how many times did he say to someone like Peter, you have little faith, and yet Peter was the one who at least stepped out on the water and walked on water. I don't know anybody else who can say they did that. Anyway, those, I've got off the topic. The point is, is in many ways, this also reminds me of a well. Psalm 1 has this beautiful thing that says the person... A person is like the tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. If we are like that tree, if we have a subterranean river that we tap into in Holy Spirit and in God himself, that in those moments where we think, oh my goodness, what is going on? That we take the straw of the word and of prayer, we suck up, the joy of the Lord. Balanced perspective. And we're back on the road that God has called us into. See, many fail to experience the joy of God because what happens is, is God actually achieved all of this extraordinary thing in the ordinary. Our faith claims that we can live the most immoral life. And five minutes before we die, we can see Jesus and respond to the gift of salvation and receive it. Now, have we lost out on the inheritance of living the life and storing ourselves treasures in heaven? Yes. But our sonship and our daughtership in a moment like that, the thief on the cross, remember me in paradise. Salvation is available to the last second, our last breath here on earth. And people can't understand that. No, that's, how does that work? How does the unimaginable, how does God, the creator of this universe, shrink himself down and become a baby? That is bizarre. How can that happen? The extraordinary becoming the ordinary. Why would God become a baby so vulnerable? We all, you pick up a baby, and the first time I picked up a baby, I didn't want to break it. And then I was changing Jordan one day, and I was pulling on his pants, and I threw him over my shoulder freaked out i thought i'd killed my son but he did a nice flat landing on his back and he was okay 
Although he did land on his head, so I think there might be something there. I'm not sure. But the point is, is that if you've ever watched Ant-Man, Ant-Man is unimaginable. It's, yes, it's Marvel, and it's about this guy who can shrink himself into microscopic thing and do all kinds of stuff, and yet still has the power to punch somebody and all kinds of stuff. But Jesus, in his deity, think about that, shrunk himself down to become a baby, to give himself into a vulnerable place, to be suckled by his mom, to have to learn to, to walk. And yet he is the creator of this universe, that by his word, this whole universe was created. It's unimaginable. How does the infinite become finite? Oh, come on, you guys, you Christians, you've lost it. Actually, the world can't comprehend it because they want the pomp and ceremony when Jesus came as a baby into a manger behind the scenes. And yet, the greatest irony of Christmas is that this one Christian holiday that the world would embrace is that the message is incomprehensible. Jesus wasn't born in the public place. He didn't live in a palace. He actually lived as a refugee. He was born in a stable with animals around him. And guess what? There weren't celebrities around applauding his birth. They were shepherds, lowly people. Jesus defies the expectations of this world and the celebrityness of our world that we live in. And the Christmas message itself, what it does is it participates in the ordinariness and the commonness, and that for many people is so offensive. And so we miss out on what God has for us because the gospel seems so foolish. How can you say that? How can you say you can live this pathetic life and then in the last minute receive salvation? Well, I know a man called King David. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. And yet he is called a man after God's own heart and a man who achieved all the purposes God had for him in his generation. How is that possible? Go and read the book. I won't spoil the story for you. See, many think that salvation has to be this great feat that I achieve by these noble deeds and moral deeds. But actually what it is, is it's simply to believe and to receive. And that's what I'm imploring you this morning i don't know why you're here i know we've got some visitors i don't know all of the stuff but the ordinariness of the gospel offends us because in some ways it is so simple and yet there's a scandal to it i've always understood yes the gospel the evangelion is the good news but it's actually news that's too good to be true like really you mean i take my sin i give it to jesus and he gives me his life and his righteousness i mean that's a that's a pretty good trade. If you're in business and you're on the stock exchange, that's a pretty good trade. That can't be right. That can't be real. And yet God is the one who does that for us. By grace alone, by faith alone, we receive salvation. So you're here this morning, and what that does is when you understand that it offends us because we think we have to do something for it. We have to be a good person. We have to um, work our way into um, and appease God and get into his good books. You see, those who admit that they're small and weak and are in need of a Savior and that they are not their own Saviors, that's when the joy of the Lord comes because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Christian life doesn't begin with good deeds and achievements. It actually just begins with simply receiving what is offered. So that smashes our pride, doesn't it? 
And what starts to happen is it starts to grow because we have these simple, ordinary acts every day that I open up the Bible and I read the Scripture and through the Holy Spirit it illuminates and I start to transform from the inside out. I become that which I already am. I go into times of silence and solitude and I listen to God speak and I keep quiet. I don't go to Him with a list like I do with Santa and I give Him all what I want. But actually, and I know that unlike Santa, when I'm not good, I don't open up and see a whole bunch of coal, as the story says. But actually, Jesus is always there to restore, to forgive, and to bring me into right relationship. How many of us have been disappointed by others around us this year? I wonder if we can be more like Christ and forgive and allow restoration to happen. And yes, restoration needs two people. You need, even our relationship with God requires repentance. There's no repentance. There can never be restoration. Sometimes there are people out there who won't repent, who don't see the harm they've done. And that's when it's hard because you want to, but you know that you can't go there. But it's this daily obedience, the long obedience in the same direction, reading the word, prayer, conversation, spending time with one another. As we fellowship with God, we fellowship, as we fellowship with one another, we fellowship with God. And you know what starts to happen? Is that little bit by little bit we grow. The foundations grow. We're able to dig deep down into those wells that God has given us. We're able to suck up like that tree planted by the rivers. I want to say to you, don't put off the ordinariness of the means of joy. Because the ordinariness, the extraordinariness, is hidden in the ordinariness of Christmas. Like Paul says, make sure that you are licking the stamp of Jesus and putting it on people. It's like as kids go around, you know, and you, when at Christmas time and whatever else, I mean, I always do it to my kids, if there's a sticker, you stick it on the back of their head or their bums or whatever and oh, they find it later. I wonder if we did that, just stuck Jesus onto people by, by our words. And maybe they wake up in the middle of the night and they, what's that? Oh, it's Jesus. That SMS, that text that you just sent, that WhatsApp, it's another sticker you just stuck on somebody. All about him. Don't make the mistake that the world makes. And we lose the name of Jesus in our Christmas this weekend. Let's keep Jesus preeminent. Maybe before you open up your gifts, talk about him. He's the ultimate gift giver and we get to give gifts as a sign of the father who gave the gift of the son who gives the gift of salvation and we respond by giving to others by grace that you are saved through faith alone. That is the reason for Christmas and that is the meaning of Christmas. So whatever happens over this next little while, I want to encourage you. Actually, I want to read that again to end off. Let's stand. <clears throat> Sorry, Joel, won't you put my slides back up? I <clears throat> just want to go to that quote by Daniel, Daniel Steele. Yeah. So close your eyes. 
I'm trusting for this, that every one of us will experience what he experienced. Almost every week, and sometimes almost every day, the pressure of his great love comes down on my heart in such a measure as to make my whole being, soul and body, groan beneath the strain of the almost unsupportable plethora of joy. And yet amid this fullness, there is a hunger for more. He has unlocked every apartment of my being and filled and flooded them, with, flooded them all with light of his radiant presence. The spot before untouched has been reached, and all its flintness has melted in the presence of Jesus, the altogether lovely one. So, Jesus, that just describes who you are. And I pray, Lord, that as we push into you and as we've read this scripture, that, God, you are eternal life. You are the one that has created a place that we know that Christmas did happen, that you were born as a baby, that you lived the perfect life and died the most horrific death, that we could receive your righteousness and you would take our sin. And yet in that, you've done that so that we could be reconciled to you and have fellowship and intimacy and koinoneo with you. Just a personal communion and interaction with you whenever we need because we have Holy Spirit inside of us that connects with Jesus and the Father. And in all of this, Lord, you bring a joy that is a ballast to us. That, Lord, in times of struggle and strife and suffering, we can suck it up and it can bring us back onto the path that you have called us onto. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given humanity a future when we threw it away. And thank you that you bring us into a place of restoration and forgiveness. We surrender afresh to you. And we say we know that it's by your grace alone and by faith alone that we receive this amazing gift called salvation because of what happened over 2,000 years ago when, Lord Jesus, you crashed in on Project Planet Earth as a baby. Thank you for your gentleness this morning. Lord, where there's rocking boats, I pray that you would still them.